Every generation looks at the generations that come after them and complains that they're soft. You hear it all too often, we complain about millennials and snowflakes. And as a 46-year-old, my friends and I tend to look for the voices that quote-unquote keep it real. And it's the belief that tough love still has a place in the world. If you talk to Brad Hanna, that's all he has. Keeping it 100 is what Brad does. And sometimes that might ruffle a few feathers. But underneath all of that is a positive energy and a generosity of spirit to share what he knows and to help those who come after him. Without getting too far into it, let's talk to the one, the only, Brad Hanna. I start off all of these by asking everyone the same question, who's in drywall. How did you get into taping? My parents kicked me out of my house because I was a shithead when I was 16. And I got into taping. (laughs) That was literally it, eh? Yeah. (laughs) The funny thing is on your Instagram, you don't refer to yourself as a taper though. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So I got into construction when I was 16 with my uncle. And my uncle is a jack of all trades. He does a little bit of everything. And he knew I was into art. And so he was just like, hey, you're going to be the taper. You know, my uncle, both his parents are 100% newfie. So it's kind of that they just show you. They don't tell you anything, right? It's just like, hey, here's the knife. This is how you do it. Show you one time. Go and do it. Figure it out. And that's how I got into it. I would be like the taper and help him drywall and any little carrying board and doing this and that. And then I took a liking to taping especially because it is. It's the closest thing to art, in my opinion, in, in the trades. And I'm an artsy guy. I'm not a sporty guy. It's funny you're touching on this because so many of the people that I've talked to for this project that I haven't interviewed yet and some that I have, being creative and artistic is really part of who they are. Like they're creative and this trade, I don't think it actively recruits them. Maybe it should, a lot of them have that trait and it's very common. It's really interesting to see all of that kind of play out because of the aesthetic. How does your artistic or creative juices get stimulated by taping? Because at the end of the day, it's supposed to look flat. It's kind of supposed to look like nothing, but it's all these creative people making this aesthetic happen. For sure. Yeah. I think I'm an artist, right? Like if I had to be like, okay, what are you? I'd be like, okay, I'm an artist. Bottom line, doesn't matter what it is. I love artsy things, right? And so people have jobs. You might work at a desk. You might work in a store. There's no way of creating a true art form through those types of jobs. Whereas in construction, especially taping, you can make your job art if you want it to. You can go there and you can be a slob and not give a shit about what you're doing. Just slap the mud on the wall. Or you can go there. I'm passionate about art. I'm not passionate about going and putting mud on people's walls, sanding it and dealing with their bullshit. But art I'm passionate about. So I can take part of my passion, which is art, visual art especially, and put it into what I'm doing and get paid for what I I actually love doing. Anyone who's going to sit there and says they love drywall, I love it. If you were to offer them the same salary doing something else that they're more passionate about, they're going to take it. So they don't love it. You got to make the best of it. So I love taping because I'm able to do that. So yeah, I think it helps you get through the day too. Because sometimes you're just staring at the same wall. You don't even know what level of house you're on. Whereas you start picking sight lines, what I like to do, you know, and no way you go. All right. Having followed your Instagram stories for a while, I know that you do like to be creative with that. But I got to ask, 
What the fuck is watermelon? <laughs> like I told you, people ask me stupid ass questions a lot of times. And for a while, I just started responding with a watermelon. Because I would tell them to fuck off, usually. And I was like, I'm being negative. I started realizing that I can fuck somebody's day up on the internet or even their business. Like, I can fuck people up. And I didn't want to do that shit anymore. So I just started generating these random responses to DMs. One of them was a watermelon. Then I got to thinking, I'm like, a lot of my work kind of looks like a watermelon. And then the final straw and why I kept the watermelon was because nobody looks at a watermelon and doesn't smile. It's the shape of a smile, right? Who bites into a watermelon is like pissed. So it's just one of those things that I use even in my own daily routine. When someone really bothers me, I just think of a watermelon and I'm like, huh, it's, just, it's a beautiful thing, right? And then it gets this whole like cryptic thing. People, oh, the watermelon, mind your own business. Now it's blueberries. Now I'm going for blueberries now, you know? It's been like three years of me seeing watermelons and going, I, I got to ask him. And every time we talk on the phone, I'm like, I forgot to ask about the watermelon. I want to touch on this, the positivity that we're talking about, because your Instagram feed is a little unconventional in the way you approach things. And we were talking about it before we got on. And I find there's such a positive vibe behind it. Maybe not your voice or your delivery is always sounds super positive, but everything is an undertone of you can do it, right? Just put the time in. You talk a lot about craftsmanship, you know, and respecting the craft and putting the effort in and propping people up. I don't know how many people really appreciate that. And I certainly do. And I know you have devoted people following you. Did the positivity, have you always been a super positive person? Or is this something that changed throughout and your desire to kind of give back to people? Where did that kind of germinate? So I think, I don't think anyone's always been a, when you become a positive person, I don't think you start as a positive person. I don't know where it changed exactly, but I was brought up on tough love. We'll give you the world, but no sense of entitlement. You got to work for it. No one's going to give you a handout, right? And so my whole upbringing, even in construction, was always sort of that way. So it's like, in this business, there's no easy anything. I've got to work for it, you know? So you have to be aware of that. You have to know that you're new in the trades. Shut the fuck up and watch. This is the way it is. There's no easy anything in the trades. And so the positive thing, in the beginning... Instagram, it's really competitive. Too many people do the same shit. Everyone does the same stuff. And that's why you have these people coming on who are always two steps behind. They're trying to do what these other guys have been doing. There's been guys on Instagram for like 10 years. All these videos you see coming out, this is just people have done that four years ago. People are talking about tools, reviewing tools that came out four years ago. They're two steps behind. So I had to stand out. How do I stand out? I'm a straightforward guy, okay? It is what it is. Like, I just say what I think and think what I say. And that's it. I believe in dealing with confrontation immediately. Cut the head of the snake off and we go. So that was it. I would just go on there and say what I thought about these tools. These tools that I was buying for hundreds of dollars. You're talking a $500 box, $600 handle, and it breaks after three months. Now, I was fortunate enough I could buy new stuff, but it started bothering me. 
your average blue collar man, he goes on the Instagram, sees these guys doing all these videos. Shit, that's a good tool. And maybe he even used a credit card to buy this stuff and then it breaks. So I was like, you know what? That's going to be my thing. I'm just going to go out there and talk about tools that are shit and I'm going to call it out. And that was my shtick for a long time. And then I started realizing how the power of Instagram, you know, I had another account before this account. My, that account was bigger and I was a little bit more tame, but people really appreciated that. And that's sort of what kept me going on it. I think that there's been times when I haven't been positive. I'm sure there's a lot of people, especially because of Instagram, they probably saw one video of me maybe three years ago and he's like, oh, that guy's a racist, raises this, raises that. And that's the problem with Instagram, right? But you just keep going with it. And I took a long break. I just, once things stop serving their purpose <laughs> and I can't monetize it, I have a family, man. I have a plan. I got to go. So I took a long break and I came back and I changed my ways. Like, I don't want to get into the whole story about the tool companies and all of the opportunity that it afforded me. But the positive, I think the positive spin came now that we're kind of talking it out, because I never really thought about this till you asked me, is probably when I realized how much opportunity I had created for myself by just being myself, you are helping people whether or not, whether it's tough love or not, because otherwise they don't watch you. <laughs> and then you don't have opportunity. So I was at this point where it's like, okay, I had nothing to lose up until this point. I was just a guy on the internet. Now I get tens of thousands of dollars and I've gotten tens of thousands of dollars of tools, checks, opportunity. Hey, want to come here? We'll fly you there. What do you think about this? We want your advice on tools. Do you want to help with the development of this tool? This is like, holy smokes. Now I have something to lose. <laughs> I better get my shit together. And that's right. I think I sort of, that's right. I sort of re-geared it. And I was like, so it is. I'm being honest with you. It was kind of a selfish thing. And then like we were talking, it goes away from the, why you keep at it. It goes away from the materialistic things, like that sort of stuff and genuinely helping people because like karma's karma and it, and it comes back. One of the things I get is I'm not a very mechanical person right? Visual, manual, great. Once something I touch has moving parts, I'm like, I'm good. What I notice about you is you get into like, here's these gears, here's this, like the minutia of the mechanical parts of how the tools work and the detail you get into is pretty crazy for me because I look at it and I'm like, it puts mud on the walls. Okay, let's go. I understand and appreciate there is a difference. It just doesn't always impact me as much because I came from being a general contractor before and stumbled into doing drywall. And I'm super happy about it because it's so much simpler than being a GC. I don't have contracts. I don't have subcontractors to deal with. I don't have clients that are emailing me. Like I get one email a week. It's the best. I don't get diverted this week. I'm doing this job. Okay. And next week we have that job. And the week after that, we have another job. And if I don't have one, Three weeks from now, there will be one. So I don't even think about it. But the mechanical part, and I want to touch on the craftsmanship and how those connect. The guy I work with, he's all self-taught. And he very much gets into the nitty gritty of what you talk about. He talks about how this box versus that box. And it isn't him trying to show that he's smart. It's he's sitting there staring at the ceiling going, why is the box doing that? And I'm looking at it like, it's wet, let's go. And he goes, no, no, there's something different. And he is into that minutia and, and he's artistic as well. He's, he's a musician and he takes it personal. That 
idea of craft is really, really important to him. And the tools kind of deliver that. And I'm not on that level. So that was great. I mean, so for you, I think what was the one you just, you were just talking about? North Star is developing that corner box, like for beads, right? For outside beads. Well, no, that box is already done. It's just a flat box, but it has uh, bead guides on it. Yeah, that box is done. And it wasn't really a box. It was more or less the attachment to the box. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. That that shows you the depth of my technical knowledge as I could not <laughs> articulate that. But you were getting into the details of how this little guide works and the imperfections you were seeing in the result. And then what needed to be adjusted within that tool and that kind of blew my mind to the point where I like I had to turn it off. I'm like, this is too much for me. I can't, I can't take all this in. But not many people have that gift. And I would think there's a ton of people out there who appreciate you putting that out there. And that is, like you said, it transforms from the selfish motivations to the selfless where you're getting feedback. How many DMs do you think you get like a week? It depends. Back in the day when I was really, that was my thing, right? Like I would do that. Every other day I'd put out one of these videos. That would be like 20 to 30, right? And now it, it's it peppers. Like it's usually on a post a story basis. You know, if I post something that's along those lines, it'll be 10 to 15, which isn't a lot. But for me, that's a lot. If you spend five minutes with each one of those people, which is never five minutes, before long, they think you're your best friend and they're telling you their life story. And it's like, buddy, settle down. <laughs> You know, so I, that's kind of the way it went. But more so to the tool end, like I was fortunate enough, and I'm not going to get into the story about how I got hooked up with Mark, who owns North Star Tools, who's also the designer, the machine guy, the owner, the quality control guy. So my learning, it was is like, honestly, like I don't want to, it's like you're a Jedi being taught by Master Yoda. And Mark is old. Right. And that's what it was. So, and he trusted me. We hit it off. And he has told me a lot of things in confidentiality to boost it for me. And my whole thing about it is these tools can make one person who knows how to set them and run them a lot of money. You don't need anybody else. If you like to be that lone wolf guy where you're just working by yourself, you can make shitloads of money. But the tools have to be set right. And your technique has to be right. And you have to put in the time. So anytime I get into anything, because I've been using these tools for four years, any kind of business, even Instagram, whatever the case may be, I do, I research the shit out of it and see if it's going to work for me. I find the ins and outs. I want to have the upper hand here. I ask the right people the right questions in the beginning. And then I form like, is this going to work for me? Am I going to go down this path? Sometimes I don't go down paths in business. No, this is not going to work for me and my family. Taping, I already had a background in it. I was like, I'm going to go down this. And that's why I wanted to understand. Because when the tools are set properly and the gears are set properly and all these things are set properly, that separates a sole proprietary taper who has grind. You want to work your ass off, man? You make as much as a doctor. You want to make $250,000 a year, three hundred. dollars You want to go work seven days a week, 14 hours a day? Create your reality? Go and do it. But you're not going to do it if you have shit tools that aren't set right. You don't understand the tool. This isn't a car. You can drive a car and not understand how all the moving mechanical parts work. The car runs. These tools are very intricate and difficult. And the first year of me using them, I wasn't on Instagram. I thought you filled this box up with mud and you just pull it down the wall and voila. And it does work. 
You're describing me right now. <laughs> you're describing <laughs> right. me. I put the box on the wall. The and you just run on. it down, right? I'm going to skim it later. It's going to look great. Especially if you're a one-man show or a one- or two-man show. Over the course of a week, if you add up all of these 30 minutes, an hour you're saving here, you're saving two hours on your power sander. I don't sand the apex of my angles because I have one of the best angle heads that's set perfectly. I just buff the sides. That saves me two hours over 5,000 square feet. Before long, you go from a guy who's living paycheck to paycheck to you're making a thousand bucks a day, man, when you get your shit together and you understand it. Zero overhead. These people supply the materials. You pay your HST, your truck's a write-off, the tools are even a write-off. You're laughing. You now have the opportunity to make big money, but you have to understand all of it, you know? And that's why I kind of want to. And it takes time. The auto taper, it takes years. And that's the biggest catch-22 with all of this, right? Everyone wants that instant gratification. It's not a hammer. It's not a drill. It's not a table saw. This is something that you just, it's like skating, if you're Canadian, It's like skateboarding, kind of. It's like playing the guitar. It's like playing basketball. Nobody watched a video about playing basketball and all of a sudden was hitting three-pointers. Boom, bing, bing. Nobody does that. And that's the biggest problem with this particular trade because there are a lot of trades where you can't do that. Being an electrician is one of them. If you are to sit down and read a book, an electrical book, for a year, you read this book like the Bible, you would be a really good electrician. You know a lot. There's no book and taping. There's no nothing you can read. There's no video. There's no nothing. And so that's the catch-22 behind all of this. Big reward, but it's a big investment in time. This isn't something where you ask Brad Hanna on the internet, how do you do your butt joints? And then I'm going to give you two answers and you're going to know what the fuck you're doing. Because if you're on the internet looking for those kinds of questions, you're already two steps behind. You should be practicing. That's how I learned. I honestly like go on the internet and try and find a solid tutorial. Brian from Drywall Nation did one for Level 5 Tools a few years ago. That's probably the closest thing that you're ever going to get to a plethora of information that kind of everyone can kind of absorb because it's so technical, like you said. Well, you need a background, right? You're refining a skill and so much of it, like anything, I liken it a lot to sports because that's my background, is you're refining something and you have to fail at it. You have to keep trying. You have to study it. You have to learn. You have to go, that didn't work. That worked. Why did that work? How do I repeat that? And then you're building your process, right? And the machines are just, they're almost like cheating, right? In the industry, I was a GC. So we would do, I started out on my own as one guy, you know, you're doing a bathroom. So you're learning how to tape on your own. I had never seen a box. I was doing it all by hand. So now when I move to running a box and using all these skim blades, it almost feels like cheating, you know, because the huge appeal to me moving from what I was doing and then stumbling into this completely by accident is I go to work, my kids leave the house at 8.15. I go to work, I pick them up at three. I'm making the same money I was before. And the opportunity in that lifestyle for me, never mind the money, And it's strangely enough, I do enjoy how linear it is and how relaxing it is because I don't have to worry about a hundred different things. It's like, hang the board, tape the board, sand the board, paycheck. It's, it's very linear. And the more time I get with my kids and the less stress I have, because it's not really that stressful. It's amazing to me. And because you're concentrating on one thing, you can get better at it quicker. The thing about cheating 
Okay, so you know that these tools have been around since 1942 or something, right? They've been around for a long time, but they're so expensive, and the money tapers were being paid up until like 10 years ago was so it just the industry screwed itself. Four thousand dollar taper in 1989. <laughs> these guys are making five cents a square foot, and they're begging for work because there's so many tapers back in the day, right? And so this industry kind of screwed itself. This is what I would say to anyone who says cheating. Number one, a machine in a properly setting troweling bar, the money part of the box, is more consistent, flat, and straight than anyone's hand. So what do you care about? Like, I care about craftsmanship, and there's no troweler who can do what I do by hand as quickly. The second thing is, why don't framers use a hammer? No air guns. Are they, they're not cheating. So why is the taper cheating? You know, this is... No, no. I don't call it cheating. Oh, but this is a common thing. Trust me. I hear it all the time. You're cheating. This is what I say to them. It'll be an old guy, always. 43-year-old. Or, or I'm sorry, 53-year-old taper. Been in the business since he was like 10. You're cheating. Here, sir. You take the fucking box and the auto taper. Show me how to do it if I'm cheating. Because it takes two years to learn how to run that auto taper. With a six-inch knife, I can show someone how to do that in four weeks. And... There is that stigma there. So I'm glad you brought it up, right? And people just don't understand the box. So the box has a bad name. Guys who don't know how to run the box are running the box for a GC. That GC has a bad experience with those tools because the guy running it has no idea what he's doing. And that GC is like, no, I don't want these tools. Unions, there's unions in the States who ban the tools. You cannot, this is like early 2000s. You can't use these tools. Make work project for the union, obviously, right? But part of it was quality too. You have to tune these things, man. And so many people don't. And if you're using a crappy box, one that hasn't been manufactured properly, that isn't tuned, you're screwed. You might as well be hand taping because you're just going to fuck people's houses up and nobody wants that, right? No, no. But I think I should go back and maybe qualify. I didn't mean to trigger you like that. But anyhow, I think it's like the difference between... The difference between cutting corners and shortcuts, right? In one way, when does it become you're being more efficient in putting out a better product versus you're cutting time to put out a passable product that nobody's going to know the difference on? And the tools have really, like, the first time I ran a box, I was like, oh, my God, how can you not want to do this? I can fill the tapes faster than that or better than that by hand. And then it's like you said, the more you do it, the more you're working on one skill. And, and for me, that was something I never did. When you're a general contractor and you're a carpenter and you're doing everything, you're not getting as good as quickly at one thing as a subcontractor is. I enjoy that as well. You never will be. I don't care what anybody says. Like jack of all trades, master of none. It's a fact. Most guys, like most GCs or jacks of all trades, they have a core trade. This is what I, is my trade. I can do a little bit of everything, but by no means am I an expert. And that's me. It was taping, right? It's the part where somebody goes, yeah, I'm good at everything. And that's when I roll my eyes. I'm like, are you? <laughs> so this is the whole thing with the Instagram. You know, I'll pepper in things that I do on my house and stuff, but you'll never see me talk about how I'm doing it. What? Because I'm not an expert. It's not my place to talk about that. I'm only going to talk about something that I feel is I don't know. When you, when you cladded the outside of your house, that was pretty good. Absolutely. But same with the stucco. Not bad. <laughs> but there are people out there who know more about it 
who are more proficient in it, who do it every day. The one thing that I made the mistake in the past of doing on social, if you don't know really what the fuck you're talking about, you have the power to put out misinformation. People who respected you in the drywall land and now you're doing something, oh shit, he must know what he's doing. I don't. To that extent, if someone asked me, when I stuckled my house, I had about five people ask me if I could stuckle their house in the neighborhood. And I said, no, because there's people who are better out there. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Could I do it? Could I make a ton of money? Absolutely. But I'm not a professional and I don't act about things I don't know, which I might be digressing, but that's the Instagram in a nutshell. People are out there on social who are still learning who are trying to educate people. I was guilty of it three and a half years ago. That's why I stopped and deleted every single video because I didn't want to be putting out that misinformation. So jack of all trades, master of one. You know, I'm only going to speak on the one. Being a GC, doing basements, that's a trade. That is a trade. Managing those jobs, managing the subs, all this, that, and the other thing, that's a trade in itself. That's what my uncle did, the man who taught me, right? And yeah, you're going to be good at that. That's your core thing. And then maybe a little bit good at these other things. But yeah, I just learned from fucking up a hundred times, man, from Sunday. I've been in construction since I was 16 and I've just tried everything. This isn't the first time I stuck out. It's not the first time I've done siding, concrete, or any of these things. But it's the first time that I feel comfortable like putting my own work out there after 20 years of being in the trade, right? And that's how long it takes. Right. Yeah, I do appreciate though... The ability to just have the time to focus on that one thing. I think you and I talked about this, or maybe it was one of your posts, to be able to say, you can do a lot of these things if you have a background in construction. You're not going to be as fast or as maybe as refined as some of them. There's some tricks you may miss, but you can still print out a pretty high quality product if you take the time, if you do your homework. If you apply the basic principles that you've learned, you can do well for yourself in the sense like you can do your own work. And then if you enjoy it, then think about that as a job. But it's amazing how that skill set and that knowledge is really can be transferable. Yeah, I think 100%. That's the biggest problem, like especially in this country. We don't have proper trade schools. The Red Seal, you know, Red Seal for drywall finishing. The questions on that exam are asking about plaster of Paris which is what they were using in houses even in Oakville uh, back in the day before premix. That's how my uncle was taught. Plaster Paris. How do you do Plaster Paris? Nobody uses that. That's the biggest problem, right? So everybody kind of learns as they go. There's no real right or wrong way. And then when you do start applying principles of landscaping to taping or, or trim work to your corner bead work or your trowel work over to stucco, because the trade we're in, is one of the most difficult to get good at. It's very transferable. If you concentrate on the craft, if you pull out a tape measure and you take that extra amount of time, which unfortunately the society we live in, partially because of the internet, is I need this instant gratification, these instant endorphins right away, right away. I can't. And that is the biggest slippery slope that the youth, that's who I target, Bill. I like young people. I like this trade. The trades have been amazing for me. In high school, they said, don't go in the trades. You're going to turn out to be a loser. I am a loser, but financially, I'm doing good, right? So they were half right. They were half right on it, but I don't have a student debt. I don't have these problems, man. I've worked my ass off for it. And that's the biggest mistake that these kids are going to make. Like this Bitcoin shit, okay? 
Bitcoin, this these kids. Yes, there's probably 20% of people who are very successful at that. And that's great. But you are putting chips of your future on luck, in my opinion. You can do all the research in the world, but you cannot weave the fabric of that reality and come out with a probability that you're going to be financially good, this, that, and the other thing. In the trades, long-term investment. You put in 10 years as a young guy, you get in as young as possible, especially now. You know, you put in 10, 20 years, you're going to be a multimillionaire. The bottom line, if you play your cards right, you don't even have to own a whole business to do that. Just be financially smart. And this is the biggest thing that's going to separate the youth of tomorrow in this business who are financially good and have done well and the ones who aren't. The ones who think that you're going to ask me a DM about a butt joint, just shut up and watch it and go do it for a year and then come back and say, hey, Brad, this is what I did. Still having problems. Okay, this guy actually tried. Here we go. And that's the biggest problem because this, I, man, learning drywall especially has cost me thousands and thousands of dollars in my own time, if not tens of thousands over the last four years. And I'm 37, right? I've been using the tools for four years. And I paid for that. And this is the biggest problem with people is they're not willing to put in that time. In terms of like young people in craftsmanship, well, the guy I work with, Mike, he's not young. He did kind of the things you're talking about. He literally built a wall in his garage and would try the tools he bought. He would take drywall scraps and do a patch, or he would run his auto taper a bunch of times and pull the tapes off and look how much mud was on it. And I'm looking at him like, like he loves it. He's excited. I want to piggyback what you were saying earlier about young people. And I think the failure sometimes is to, what if you like it? What if you like doing it? Wouldn't it be nice to go to work, never mind the money part, and like what you're doing? And go home at the end of the day and not be stressed out and be happy. And then the money comes in. You're like, bonus. This is a gravy. How many people you know that you went to high school with that have quote unquote successful jobs and they're miserable? And I don't have that. I had a whole white collar life before and I hated working in an office. And when I got into this, I did the university thing. I did the get a job, have a career, quote unquote. Part of me was dying every single day. The minute I got on a construction site, it was like the whole world changed. It didn't matter. Everything else was gone. Including the HR department. (laughs) So if I was a young person, let's just say I run into you, we're at a barbecue. We get to talking and I say, you know what? I want to get into the trades. I want to get into taping. Where do they start? What do they do first? I think someone wanted to get into taping. It's hard because. There's not enough tapers. So most of the companies, unless it's union, it's just go, go, go. I'm not going to pay for you to learn. Screw that, man. I've been paying my whole life for me to learn and now I'm making big money. It doesn't, if you're interested in taping and you don't have an in or you don't know anyone, because anyone who got into taping, they knew someone who was in taping. You don't just wake up one day and you're like, I want to get into taping. But I would get into construction in general. It doesn't matter what it is. You're going to start as a laborer. There's no HR department. You're going to be told to shut your hole and know your role. You're going to have thick skin. None of this millennial hypersensitive shit. You just got to deal with it and realize that this is your university. You're learning now. You're paying for it now. You're learning and it's through labor. That's the best way to get into it. Overtime craft comes. Like you said about corporate world versus construction, 
it's going to sound bad, but in the corporate world, you're very constrained. I don't want to say slave to anybody, but you have these responsibilities every single day. And if you have like one or two days, man, like, so there is this corporation or whatever over you who's dictating what you do between the hours of nine and five. When you go to the bathroom, even sometimes, well, not really, not, not anymore now, but when you eat, when you can have a break, when you can do all of these things, right? And yeah, the thing with the trades is if you're more of like a free spirit, like I am, it just really works out for you. And artsy people, I'm kind of making the correlation now, are kind of more like that. So if you're an artsy person, there's no money in art unless you want to be a graphic designer designing the same thing every friggin' day for the same box, you know? And you just get into it. But furthermore to the craft, you can craft an email and you can craft this. But in construction, like your craft, in my opinion, your craft is your biggest asset. You know, so if you want the luxury of being able to be yourself, speak your mind, do this, that, and the other thing, your craft has to be on point. And that's what separates people with opportunity, unlimited work, good, good pay on their jobs from just everybody else. Why wouldn't you want to stand out from the rest? We all know the construction, quality in construction, especially in this province right now, is at an all-time low. And it's not because of the tradesmen. It's because of the project managers. I worked for some, actually, used to, who are just trying to push out work. They don't give a shit about anything except for the bottom line. And I'm like, well, I'm not there to defend myself. When you tell me to do shit work, you told me two coats. You told me two coats. Okay, I do two coats. Now I'm an asshole. You know, when people say, who did this shitty job? I'm not there. So my craft is my biggest asset. It's what sets me apart from everybody else. When they zig, you zag. That's all you got to do. So you got a young guy right now. If I was a young guy right now, I just wanted a house, a nice lifestyle in the next 10 or 15 years when I'm older. Just concentrate on going there and doing the best you can. And it will happen for you. Bitcoin, any of these get rich, quick, multi-marketing You cannot guarantee that you're going to have a beautiful future that way. In construction, you can, but you have to work your ass off and have thick skin. You're touching on something that is an underlying benefit of the trades, right? One of the negatives and positives of the trades is everybody is kind of their own business, right? Most people are a subcontractor. Even when you work for a drywall company, they're a bigger company. They're hiring you, who are a company to execute the work. Your business acumen really kind of leapfrogs, right? You start to understand money more because you're pushing your money in and out. You're like, oh, I could really use this tool. That tool's two grand. I don't have two grand. I got to stack that money up and pay for that. So the idea of financial understanding, business independence, your own independence, that comes with it, right? No business school gives you the same upfront learning in in its most basic sense as money in, money out. I'm not charging enough. I need to charge more. I need to pay for my expenses. What's wrong? I got to look at my numbers. That's an added, I don't want to say benefit, but it's an element in the trades that isn't really talked about enough, I think, or people are exposed to. They don't know like, oh shit, I got to manage my own money. Oh, and the proof is in the pudding, especially tape. Tapers notoriously are the worst businessman I've ever met or dealt with in my life. Sometimes when people, I ask them how much, I tell them I'll give them more money because I feel so bad. How much money do you want? This much. Okay, no, I'm going to give you this much. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm taking advantage of them. And the proof is why are not more people using these tools? Why does anybody hand tape? Think about that. You've ran, you've done both. Why? 
why are you only working for cash? It's very difficult to get ahead in life to work for cash, especially in today's day and age. And it's only going to get worse with these cryptocurrencies. I have no doubt that eventually there will be no way of doing cash or transactions in this business. This business has always been the Wild West. Always been the Wild West. Cash is going to disappear. And so why aren't you using tool? The guys who are persistent about their trowel and they're this, they don't even want to use a corner flusher. They're just bad businessmen. There's always multiple layers. Maybe they can't afford them. A lot of times when you start debating with people about these tools, you can really beat them down and see that they literally can't afford it. My financial situation, I, I can't. Okay, well, you work for cash. The tools are a write-off. Do you understand business? Do you pay taxes? Like, What is going on here? This is a very simple thing. Buy the tool make thousands of dollars or you can waste your life with the thing, with the knife. The knife is going to be obsolete in the next 20 years, guaranteed. The more young people who pick up these tools, especially good tools like Northstar that operate properly, the bigger consumer base that we have in the tool industry, it's just going to drive it more. And those guys are good. Whoa, my dad or whatever, you know, my uncle, he was a hand taper. Hand taper. Nobody does that shit anymore. In drywall, I'm talking. And it just is the way it is. But yeah, man, like that's the first sign of a successful drywall finisher versus a non-successful. I don't give a shit who you are. If you are a sole proprieting hand taper, you missed out, man. You, you could have not been, and you're 50 or 45 and you're still working right now. You missed out big time. You could have been retired 10 years ago if you played your cards right. I get a laugh when I talk to guys about the electric sanders, Festool, DeWalt, whatever you're going to use. And some of the guys that are our age, a little bit older, they're like, no, man, I got to do it all by hand. I'm like, okay, you don't want to invest in your body because that's what you're using, right? Sanding ceilings sucks, right? And the funny thing is the guy... I worked for a drywall contractor, a local guy that used to be my drywall guy for a little bit when I left. And that was kind of be the beginning of this genesis. He had a guy in his 60s. His name's Stipe, Croatian guy. He taped by hand. So we're doing subdivision houses, you know, 1,800, 2,400 square feet. He's doing it all by hand, but he's using a Festool to sand. And I thought, what an amazing contradiction that he's like, eh, I like doing it. To he was fast too, and his work was good. But it was amazing that he was still going like, I'm going to use this Festool sander because sanding sucks and this makes my life better. And I was like, what a statement that is right there. The thing with the power sanders or pole sanding or whatever the case may be, this kind of parallels craft. The sander, you can't use the sander to create your craft. And this is what the industry does. All those sanders work differently. The Planex... The Planex planes the mud down. So it makes sense that an old Stipe, 60 years old, putting it on with a trowel, he's not putting on consistently thin coats. He's a master of deception. That's his job is to trick your eye. What the Planex does is it planes down the mud. That's why it's called a Planex. And that's cool. These guys who do their thing, at the end of the day, it matters what it looks like after paint. If it looks good, it's good. But these sanders have been a major digression in craft in the trade because if you have the right box, you have a properly manufactured box with a proper blade all set in it, Northstar, slide a little you know, shameless promotion there, the sanding is minimal. I can't use a Planex on my flats. I use a Planex on screws only. If I put that thing on my flats, I am just going backwards in time, right? Same with corners. 
Because you're digging into it. Exactly. I've already, with a properly set box, you put on just enough mud. The joint is already flat when you're done. I don't crown my joints. And this, this is when you get into the multiple layers of how these tools operate and how to tune them, right? Because my job is to make the joint flat, not the wall. You don't pay me to do that. If you're worried about that, you should have worried about the framing, right? And that says it in my contract, <laughs> literally. I make the flat, the joint flat. I like the DeWalt one, you know, because I put on the thin mud and then I run that DeWalt zoop, 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 and away I go. But I was a pole sander guy up until I picked up a really big commercial job and they had complained about the scratches because we would use 120 and then buff it down with like a 180 quickly. And we're just sanding out the crown by hand and the client complained. And rather than, rather than be like, no, I know everything. I was like, hey man, he's right. He's a customer. Picked up a power sander and, and it took time. But the, you know, it's funny. I might be digressing here, but the power sander, especially a Fez tool, that is an art and a craft in and of itself. I'm not a big Fez tool guy. I like the DeWall. I've ran 30,000 board feet with a Fez tool and I'm just starting to pick it up, right? So it shows you the multi layers of this trade. You can get to the point where you have beautiful coats and you can screw the whole thing up with the power sander. And I think that's why a lot of guys stick to the pole sander. It's what they feel comfortable with. They cannot afford even one or two days of recoding to learn the Fez tool. I can afford that. And again, back to this trade, you can learn at your own pace, whatever you want to do. Because at the end of the day, if you're passionate about it and you want to learn, you want to get better, it's only your time. If you screw up a butt joint by trying something, then recode it. Stay till 10 o'clock at night, midnight, recode it, resand it. You're going to be better off because of that. And that's what a lot of people miss. I think how I want to wrap this up is the idea of, and we've talked about this in different ways. Is it you're investing, you're investing your time in your skill. And I look at, say, these electric sanders, and I think I'm investing that time in saving my body and prolonging my professional life. That's what I look at it as. Because, yes, they're not idiot proof. You can't just show up and say, I'm going to run this and I'm going to have no problems if you don't work at it. There's nothing we are doing, whether it's a taper, a boardman, whether it's carpentry, being an electrician, that you don't refine and learn and need to invest time in getting better at. And the idea that you are, as a tradesman, a finished product is foolish because there's always new tools and new techniques and new products that come out that if you are this craftsman who believes in putting out the best thing possible and you enjoy that gratification of looking at something and go, that's the fucking best it's going to be. You can't suddenly stop investing the time and the energy and the emotion into getting better. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, one thing that you touched on that we didn't talk about at all, we talked about money and this and success and that, but one of the most important things, because we all have families, is the health factor. The young guys, the old guys, whomever, these tools will kick the shit out of your body. A Fez tool, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, same with the trowel will bust your back. So yeah, especially with the sanders in the vacuum, you're saving your body, man. Even though the tools are hard to run, it's a minimal effort compared to pushing the same amount with a trowel. And we all have families at the end of the day. And it's such a sin, right? Because we're going to have a lot of these old timers who are just going to start popping off for no reason at 65. They're just going to start dying because no one was wearing masks and nobody knows what the hell really is in the mud. 
right? Because the mud we're using nowadays is not the mud your dad was using or, or my dad or who, whatever. It's way different with binders and whatnot. So those tools are going to be a vital thing to sustain the workforce. We're dealing with things we don't understand right now. This is not like being an electrician. We are constantly in dust. Whether you're sanding or not, you're in that environment. And yeah, hopefully that's where the trade starts trending. Because even the companies, tool companies, consumable and material manufacturers, they're not very diligent about it either. They could give two shits, in my opinion, about the health of the trade, which is their customer base. It's crazy. So these are all things as the trade is evolving and the trade is getting more dominant. We're getting a big back. We're getting back to a bigger workforce because I see a lot of young guys, man, up until even five years ago. I'm 37. I'm the youngest guy on every job site I walk on as a drywall person. Just ridiculous. And so, yeah, that's the way it's going to trend. That's a, that's a really good point, Bill, about the tools is your health factor in your body. Who wants to start on these tools at 21 years old and have a blown out back at the age of 27, 28? It's, it's nuts. Dude, when I show up to work, this is maybe a reflection of my age. I literally warm up. I will do like squats, some stretches. And I'm like, and the days that I don't do it and I'm not disciplined, I'm like, I either remind myself and stop at lunch or I'm like, yep, I'm going to be sore when I get home. I'm going to have to stretch when I get home. Because I'm like, I'm tipping 50. <laughs> you know, I'm 46. I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. So it's like, shit, I, I need to take care of this machine if That's, I'm going to use it. I didn't realize it. that. I thought you were younger. But you know what? There's a prime example. You can run these tools when you're 50. So let's just say you're the type of guy who likes to work. There are people out there who don't want to not work. They just want to go and take. This is a sustainable job. Like roofing is not sustainable. You know, like I don't care what you say. There is a lot of trades out there that are very dangerous. Imagine being an asphalt guy. Like, geez, Louise, you know, like at that point, you're getting paid for your health. Like there's no way of being healthy doing that. So these tools and you know, all these things are great. And I, that's why I'm really excited to be involved with the industry, especially on the tool end, because even though they've been around. They've been predominant to a degree. It's like a renaissance for the tools, social media and the internet, YouTube, a lot of these things have really pushed it. That's where I saw them. I never saw these tools in person until I went on the internet. I was like, I want to get back into taping. There's got to be an easier way. Boom, there's a flat box. Swear to God, in all my years, I'd been in construction for 16 years up until that point, hadn't seen anyone run them. Right. So there's a big renaissance for these tools right now. So it's very exciting to be involved in it. And all these tool companies, manufacturers, whatever, they're going to benefit from it uh, moving forward. And I really do hope that. Hold on. Hold on. You're telling me up until five years ago, you had never seen somebody run a flat box. Not on the sites. Yeah, man. That's how rare they are. What? Yeah. I'd never seen someone using the tools on a site. And I had been on hundreds of job sites, if not a thousand up until that point. Yeah, they're very uncommon. And it's just now where it's really becoming a thing. And I'll tell you the main reason why. Because back in the day, the guys are getting 20 cents a square foot, which is shit money. Sometimes they'd have to supply their own material. So you do the math, man. Like you literally have to pay your bills, put gas in your car, and then you have this flat box. The prices haven't changed with the tools. Eh? Like, like 10 years ago, they were the same price. 20 years ago, they're pretty much the same price. In the 80s, they were even more expensive. So it was this weird conundrum of, we want to sell these tools, but the guys can't afford to buy them. 
<laughs> and that's why I would never see them on sites. You would never see them. The guys who were running the tools when I first got into construction, they were doing high rise. They were doing brand new subdivisions because they were, yeah, cost of living was obviously a lot less 20 years ago. So for them, they didn't care. And then why do they want to go and tell all the tapers their secrets? Why do I want to tell my competition, hey, buy this corner thing? Everyone, you know how it is. You've been in the business. I don't know how long I've been. Back in the day, especially, there was very secretive. No one would say shit. Guys wouldn't even tell you to run a North Star box because it's better. Everyone wants that competitive edge. And now things are changing. Yeah, that's crazy to me because I got in the trades in 2006. Probably the first time I saw somebody run a box was 2010. And then once I saw that, I was like, because you see the invoices, right? Guy invoices you and you're like, whoa, dude, like, or he hands you his quote. And I was like, dude, that's a lot of money. He's like, it's worth it. I'll be done in six days. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm going to run a box. And I showed up to watch him do it. And I was like, I had to close my mouth the first time I saw it. I was like, what is this? And from then on, I was like, yeah, we're done. Like, and then I had to learn about drying times, right? I had to learn, okay, you're in a basement. There's all these beads. There's going to be a day after you load everything that you can't go in because it's not going to yeah, be Yeah, that's the cool part about it. Huh? Yeah. You're educating yourself about all these things and then you can educate the client. And then it, it just these things... I'm still amazed that there's guys who've been doing this for 20 years and I'm asking them about the job they're doing. They're like, yeah, I'm going to do this and do that. And I'll be done in four days. I'm like, no, you're not. Why are you telling me the wrong thing? There's like 20 corner beads in here. There's no way you're loading those in a day and they're dry tomorrow. See you later. Okay. God bless. Like I'll book my schedule accordingly and I'll ignore what you're going to tell me. And then I'll wait for you to come in on that day and go, Hey, I can't do anything. They're not dry. And I'll just say, you know what? It's okay. It's all good. You take the day. We'll let it dry. Let me go get a dehumidifier. That's the art of being a GC. That's part of the art, right? Right there or the trade, so to speak. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that too, because that's another really thing that, that I love about drywall finishing, especially is the strategy behind it. Right. So that's another layer that's peppered in between the craftsmanship and being good with the tools is the strategy. You could be the best tool runner ever, but if you're not strategically changing up your system to the situation you find yourself in, you're going to be eating craft dinner. That's it. That's what all these things separated. So I'm not here and I know you're not here and nobody's here to say this is like super easy to do. Everybody go buy bazookas and flat boxes and giver especially the people who have been in it for been in the trades or what the tools are trying to say is if you practice a lot and you're dedicated and you're passionate, you're going to make lots of money. You're going to write your own ticket. How much money do you want to make this year? What do you want to do? You want to work two weeks on, two weeks off. You want to work for the first six months of the year and take the back end off. No corporate job for the most part, has that opportunity. There's nothing out there. Even electricians, there's no, I'm sure there's peaceworking electricians, but it's not, it's not like this business is. This business is a sandbox for degenerates, you know, misfits and people who are just like free spirited, just go for it. And, and if you don't play well with others all the time, it's a beauty thing, right? But it's not easy. Like I say. I'm glad I'm involved in it. Honestly, I fell into it 
like we talked about all the reasons why someone would stay on social media or put themselves out there, which is takes courage to do, as you know, and is not easy, is because it's just, there's a cool vibe about drywall and the people involved in it, you know? I really do think it's a thing where people do genuinely want to help each other. And yeah, you know, I'm, I've been privileged, blessed, and very, very lucky and fortunate. I was at the right place at the right time. I'm like everybody else, Bill. I'm not special. I just got lucky with a few good contacts, people who saw something in me, and away you go and you go and you do it. What do they say? The saying goes, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yes, that's a beautiful quote. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To say that you're not special is, is having gotten to know you a little bit and what's out there. You're very, very talented and very unique. And what you do is what a lot of people need. So I don't want to undersell that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can you tell more people that when my name comes up? (laughs) The thing with me is it just, you either like it or you don't like it. It's just the way it is. I'm not on there to appease anybody. You know, like we were talking before this, you help a couple people. That gratification is fantastic. The amount of people that, especially young people, I helped even a couple of years ago. I completely forgot about them. The most simplistic stuff where, hey, Brad, you said A and B in a story. Do you remember that two years ago? Really helped me out. I started my own business. I left that boss who was taking advantage of me. I just needed someone to say that to me. Thanks. I get chills thinking about that now. Like That's what keeps you going, right? And people take note, whether it's bigger drywall companies, whether it's tool companies, Word gets around, people take note, and you create opportunity for yourself. But the worst thing anybody can do is spend too much time on social comparing themselves to other tapers. You should never do that. Instagram, these podcasts, it's inspiration. I don't compare myself to anybody. If I did that, I would be screwed because I'd be comparing myself to like a guy like Phil. Like this guy's handwork. I'm just setting myself up to be let down. So I compare myself to myself, right? I compare myself to myself and what I'm good at and I hone in on my natural gifts and away we go and everybody's happy. Nobody tells me what to do. A lot of that I think is, (laughs) yeah, I'm not good with authority either. (laughs) I think what maturity offers and maturity and the maturity of experience, right? You can be a young person that's very mature because you've experienced a lot. It's that security, that real confidence, not arrogance. It's real, like through proven ability that you understand that you're trying to be the best version of yourself. You're not trying to be the best version of somebody else or something you see. And that takes time. That takes experience. That takes growth. That takes being humbled. And successes. The underlining thing of drywall and why someone would stay in it or why they'd want to continue down the path, because it's a shitty job at times. It's a really shitty job. Is you have these moments, because it's so multi-layered, these little eureka moments of this heightened sense of success. Holy smokes. Last time I made $300 a day. Now I made $500 a day. And then it becomes, I made $500 a day. And now I'm making $1,000 a day. And everyone loves being successful. And drywall is one career in construction where there's no one in your path. There's no manager above you who can put down your pilot project that would have saved the company $100,000, but he has a grudge against you. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing standing in your way to achieving as much success as you want. 
and everyone stays in drywall. The really good guys stay in it because they're not addicted to the money or anything like that or the accolades. It's the success. We are all driven by success. It's why I stayed in it. I'm naturally, I've been told anyways, I have a natural gift for the tools, right? Just like people are naturally gifted at basketball, like we're talking or skateboarding. Not everyone's going to be naturally gifted, but if you are, you get off on that success and it's uh, it's a really, it's a beautiful thing. Every time I go to work, man, I'm always like, okay, cool. How can I improve on what I did last time? And I digress. I still make mistakes. I rush. Rushing is a big problem, especially with taping because it's so strategic. You think you're getting ahead by rushing something and then you're moving backwards because when you go to sand out that three-way, it looks like a union guy did it, <laughs> you know? And you're like, oh, Christ. So. Yeah, like I, I really dig it. I get bored quickly with things. Artsy people are like that, you know, and I don't like people, you know, generally speaking, like construction Karens or homeowners, I cannot handle it. I have a hard time with dealing with people asking me messages about Flatbox, let alone what you said about, hey, I'm understanding the strategy and the process now. And because this is so linear, I can now explain that to the client. Instead, hey, Bill, when are you going to be done? Four days. Oh, no, the painter's coming in three days. Well, that's what it is. That's what the guy told me. Now it's like, well, hey, here's the plan. Either we rush this shit, right? Sure, I'll do it in three days. No problem. We'll rush it. You're going to pay me in full because that's what the contract says. And then in about maybe two weeks to a month, you're going to have something called delayed shrinkage. So my beautiful job that you didn't let dry properly and I rushed is now going to shrink back and you're going to see everything and I'm paid and you're going to call me to come back and I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> and that's it. And when you, that's how I talk to my clients. <laughs> that's how I talk to them without the swearing. And when you say that, when you're just honest, open and transparent with them, they're like, okay, Brad, take as much time as you want. Well, Brad, this has been awesome and we can keep going for days. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime, I gotta, Bill. I got to go sign my taxes. We're going to do this again because I'm sure there's, a, I know there's things that I want to talk to you about that we can't cover in the time we have. Absolutely. That's it. Anytime I have on my calendar that I'm going to be talking to Brad, I am always sure to cancel anything else I have coming after and making sure I got 90 minutes allotted because even our short conversations end up being 90 minutes. And after that, I think you probably understand why his insight and his experience and his willingness to share it to make himself and everybody better is just so endearing and enjoyable for me. And I hope you got a little bit of the same. I want to say as usual, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.